Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Transfer Portal CFB podcast presented by No Context CFB. I'm your host, Dylan Rubin King, and we have a special edition for you today. We are lucky to be joined by Brooks Austin, the lead editor of Dogs Daily on Fan Nation, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. Brooks, thank you so much for joining us, man. How are you? I'm doing well, gentlemen. How are you guys? Hey, got to tell you, first appearance since the Natty. So you guys get you guys get uh, the, 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 the first pop. So how about that? Hey, there you go. Very lucky. Uh, very happy to have you join us. You're one of the best in the business, one of the best beat reporters out there covering the Georgia Bulldogs, one of the best minds uh, breaking down the game all over social media. So we can be happier that you're joining us. Um, for those who don't know you and your work, can you introduce yourself a little bit and tell people what you do? Yeah, so I'm Brooks Austin. I cover the University of Georgia. I also cover recruiting uh, for Sports Illustrated as well uh, for SIO American. So uh, I wear a lot of hats. I do a lot of things. Uh, I, I guess people most know me for the, the film work that I do, um, the, the football analysis that it is. Um, it comes from a former player's background. Uh, study a lot of tape. Watch probably more tape than I ever should um, for no reason. It's not like I have an input on the game or the game plan, but we like to come up with them. So we sell subscription models based off of that. Uh, we do a lot of film breakdown. Um, and I also, we find a lot of like crossover with fan bases too. So like Every time I, I, I dip into the Ohio State market, we find new, you know, fans of our work. Every time we dip into the Tennessee market, despite how, you know, hatred that could be between fan bases and whatnot, they seem to like the stuff too, even Bama fans. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a football-based approach. It's a players-based approach. Uh, it's an X's and O's-based approach. Um, you won't hear me talking a lot of advanced analytics. So, um, not, not necessarily my thing. I'm the other way. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we got to thank you for coming on the show during a very difficult and tragic time for the University of Georgia community uh, after the passing of Devin Willick and Chandler LaCroix. Um, I just wanted to open it up to you. You know, you're at the parade, um, you know, the other day on Sunday, I believe it was. And, um, you know, just the next day was so, so dark for the University of Georgia community and in Athens. Um, just wanted to open it up to you to kind of share your thoughts on on Devin and Chandler. So I, 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 I... This one was a tough for me in the sense that, like, not to make it about me. First of all, condolences to the family. But I, I, I didn't get a chance to know Devin. I covered – I knew Devin Willock, the football player. Knew Devin Willock, number 77, the guard. Um, I didn't get to know Devin Willock, the human being. And to me, that's kind of that's, – that's, that's what I've been settling with the last, like, 24, 48 hours is, like, I missed out on an opportunity to meet two great human beings. Um, and that saddens me, uh, but again, not not to make it about me, but that that was my initial reaction. It was like, damn, man, I need to do a better job about getting closer to the people that I cover. Yeah. You know, that that was my initial reaction because I I only know him through my camera lens and through the film that I watch of him and the the brief interactions and direct messages I had with him in the recruiting process. But outside of that, I I I didn't get to know that in, that individual. Um, so. That saddened me for sure. Uh, but yeah, I, condolences. Absolutely. Yeah, we wanted to open it up to you. And, uh, you know, we wanted to start the show off um, on that note, just to, to give our condolences and our prayers and our love for the families of, of Devin and Chandler and for the whole University of Georgia community. Definitely a sad time. It's, it's really hard to transition from from something like that. But, um, you know, as we mentioned, you were at the, the championship parade, um, you know, for the second year in a row. Were you there the first time? Uh, no, nah, we watched we watched that one from home last year. But uh, this one we watched we watched up close and personal. Took some uh, 
think we produced like 160 photos this week of that nice. parade. So yeah, we, we covered it, uh, you know, top to bottom. It was, it was, it was a good day. That's for sure. It, it didn't end great. That's for sure. Absolutely. You were there in Athens. Um, a lot of people there. It looked like a very fun event. What was it like to be out there with dog nation? I mean, it's always great. I mean, it's, I, I didn't get to see it last year, but I mean, it's, it's wall to wall. I mean, it was 12 people deep. There was more people outside the stadium than that filtered in. I'll tell you that much, you know, half the stadium's under construction over there. So the whole, I guess that would be the West side of the end zone or excuse me, the South side of the end zone, um, you know, it's kind of under construction. So, uh, but other than that, I mean, it's great energy uh, as always with, with, with that fan base. I think it was, uh, it was really important for uh, those players to kind of have that moment as always. Um, and it was also important for, you know, Kirby always uses that one to kind of say thank you and then turn page. And that's what I think he's best at in this, uh, in this industry. Obviously he's the first one to repeat in this era ever um, ha hasn't been done since, you know, 11 and 12 with Bama, but it hasn't been done in the, in the college football playoff era. So his ability to say, all right, let's move on is, is, is probably top notch in college football. Um, and they moved on today. They, they got two commitments today in 2025. So um, the, 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 the machine is rolling um, as you will out there in Athens. Yeah, I know. Definitely. I mean, I mean, Kirby doesn't, doesn't stop, you know, he doesn't sleep. And I saw earlier a lot earlier this week or earlier last week that right after the natty, they were doing, you know, each coach was doing 10 schools um, in 10 days or, or, or something like that, or 10 uh, schools. Each, each coach hit 10 schools that day, that day. Wow. Yeah. They so hit hundred schools that day. I was talking to a recruiting staffer that actually told me they had, I think 40 helicopter drops. So 40 times the helicopter went up and back down, um, you know, that day. So, yeah, they, they don't stop. They're relentless. They, they constantly are. Um, and I find, I find you see that in their players, too. I, I was telling somebody this today. Kirby Smart is the first individual I've ever been around. I've been around hard men, dude, and people who coach you hard, right? We all have hard managers at your workplace, people who are constantly on go, people who are always pushing people's buttons. Every one of those people, whether you want to call them alphas, whether you want to call them uh, stern dictators, whatever you, whatever term you want to use, every single one of those people eventually rubs someone the wrong way, right? Someone leaves because they don't like it. Someone leaves because they didn't enjoy the management of it. Someone leaves because they get burnt out because of it. Kirby Smart's the first individual I've ever been around that is like this, that everyone just like is okay with it. Like he is on go, on site with everyone. Everyone, everywhere in that program, from equipment managers up to the to the daggum assistant director of player personnel, everybody can get it. The players, all of them. So, and every time he comes with that energy, he, again, one of the very few managers I've ever seen that everyone's just like, "All right, bet, let's do it, let's go." No, it's never like, "Oh, why is he why is he talking to me like that?" So, if you want to know what the gift is. That's the gift that I've observed. Like, of course, it's relentlessness. They all work hard, though. They're all crazy. All them, all them college football coaches, they're all insane. Yeah. They all want to work 90-hour weeks. They're all, they're all meticulous about being excellent. They all, they all do the things. But, you know, whether or not everyone, you can get everyone else around you to, to hit 10 schools, you know, in one day, that's the gift. And, and get them to keep showing up. That, that is the gift. Yeah, no, definitely. It's, it's, it's incredible. And and just goes to show the kind of program that that is being run over there in Athens. And you know, just kind of kind of give you your flowers a little bit too, Brooks. You're one of the best out there breaking down film. I mean, I've I've uh, 
I've been a, I've been a follower of yours for a while, for a long time. Um, I remember you uh, breaking down Jamie Newman tape when he committed. And obviously, it was all for not at the end of the day. But I remember you breaking down his film, and you had to be convinced that he was about to be, you know, the Heisman Trophy winner, and we we're about to win championships with Jamie Newman. And obviously, Man, that didn't hold on, happen. Hold on, whoa, whoa! You can't tell everybody I'm great at my job and then tell you tell you I had I had you convinced Jamie Newman was about to win a Heisman. Did you ever play a snap? <laughs> Man, that's a miss. Um, no, I, going back to that Jamie Newman tape, you know what else was a miss? I was totally out on the heavy mesh read that Wake Forest was running. I hated it. That crap where they like walk towards the line of scrimmage, and then and then all of a sudden Sam Hartman starts running it, and he's throwing bombs on everybody, just like creeping. It. I, I missed on that one too. Um, no, I I I took tail on the Jamie Newman stuff the moment I saw him at the Elite Eleven. Here's what. It, Jamie, Jamie's a great, and Stetson Bennett, to turn the full conversation, are two diametrically opposed human beings, but are very valuable lessons for people who are trying to be evaluators. I can grind tape on anybody, any position, and I, I, will, I will try not to miss. We all miss, but I will be as close to as accurate as I can humanly possibly be. I think I'm elite at it, right? At any other position, just off tape, except for quarterback. When it comes to quarterbacks, dude, I will I will hold my 100% opinion until I see that kid or that person throw that rock in person. Because, dude, you can't you, – you don't know. You have no idea. You can't see it on film until you walk up on them. And then once you walk up on them and you see that ball come out their hands, you're like, all right, yes or no. It's immediate. It's like the – for a baseball analogy, it's like the sound of the bat, right? If you listen to a guy take BP, if he's a great hitter, just listen to that crack, dude. That crack of that bat collapse. As soon as he hits, great hitters sound like that, right? They got a sound. Football throwers, they got a, a lifeness, a, a, a life about their ball. You cannot see it on tape. Stetson Bennett, people were giving me shit on Twitter. I don't know if I can cuss on this. People were giving me shit on Twitter the other day, okay, for my elite comment with Stetson Bennett. Is he Patrick Mahomes with his arm? Hell no. That's one of one. He's a 1%. But is he top 10%? Can he make every NFL throw? Yes, he has elite arm talent. He can get it from any platform. He can find juice from any platform. He can find it on a run. He can find it in the pocket, out the pocket. He can throw runners. He can throw guys open. He can throw with touch. He can layer balls. He can throw deep ball. He can throw 65 yards if you need to. People didn't think Baker Mayfield had arm talent until he showed up to the NFL Combine, and people were like, holy shit, he throws the ball 66 miles per hour? Yeah, the dude's got a Hummer. Okay, Stetson doesn't have that. But when you when those NFL guys watch that ball come off his hands, they're gonna be like, oh, oh, now now I get it, I get it. Yeah, yeah, and you, and no, speaking of Justin Bennett, I mean that's that's one of the things that you know we've, we we me uh, and and I'll, I'll be those no there'll be no secret that I'm a big Georgia fan as well. Um, that I've that I've kind of been a little you know in awe of his development over the last from when he came into the to to the program in 2017 to to where he is where he's walking out of the program now as a two time national champion. You break it down film. What do you what have you seen over the over time that that has caused that that development or that ascent to 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 what he is now? Processing. Like he like people don't understand unless you're really I mean, for football savvy, you get it. If you listen to anybody talk about Todd Munkin, if you listen to anybody talk about Georgia's offense, they will say it's multiple, right? It's a pro it's it's a pro style offense, right? Well, those those offenses require timing, they require processing. They require uh, tying your feet to your eyes. They require working the, the bubba fade to the front, down to the square in, and oh, crap, we got the dig coming from the backside. Now we like really have to click through our reads, right? We have to work front, 
to mid to back or maybe front to immediately back side of the read, okay? This scanning of the field, it's a 10,000-hour theory. Like, you have to do it. You have to do a lot of it. Um, and players get better, and he got more comfortable, right? And every single player that's ever been under Munkin's system, that third year, they jump. And it's because the terminology is difficult. Uh, the, the, the checks in and out of what you can and can't do the freedom of like that offense always has the answers, but if you don't know them, you can't get to them. We can't open that, that level of offense. We're never going to get there, but his brain eventually got there. He got more and more comfortable. And the only time you ever saw him struggle was when he started seeing ghosts, when he wasn't, when he was patting the ball, right. When he's, uh, indecisive with his processing against Ohio state, there was about a two quarter stretch midway through the second quarter, on way midway through the third, where every time he dropped back, it looked like he was about to turn it over, right? Patting the ball, clicking through his reads way too fast or way too long on one, sticking on one guy way too long, getting sacked. Like, that kind of stuff. The only reason they survived that, they, they survived two 14-point deficits there because Todd Munkin was just like, all right, well, we, we got this one beater that we've known all year or all week leading up the Arian Smith double move. They knew that was going to score the moment they put it in the game plan, bub. I'm telling you that right now. I mean, 12 was getting cooked against Michigan for four quarters. They had that one out a bunch cooked up for him. They knew they were going to score. So it was a matter of when do we call this play? Um, they had that one. And then the, the, they had a four-play 75-yard drive where they ran the ball four times in a row and, and ran two plays that Todd Munkin hasn't drawn up or ran at Georgia in three years since I've studied it. They ran one motion into a nub set and then ran uh, basically slammed back into the short side. Kenny McIntosh trips on a 65. Should have scored, okay? Should have scored. They drug the yeah. safety out of the picture, all right? And then in, in the red zone, they run truck sweep with the quarterback and, and, and scramble him to let eight ran it all year. Ain't, ain't ran it in three years since they've had a scramble quarterback. So, like, those things were the keys to the successes of, like, this year. Stetson's progression – and then Todd Munkin being able to say, all right, the one time my quarterback's struggling, we got the answers. Here we go. Let's get him out of it. There it was. Absolutely. And uh, I, you've probably seen it all over Twitter since the Georgia Bulldogs won the championship and everything they were saying afterwards. There were a lot of uh, there was a lot of talk about Georgia being like a seven and five, six and six team. That seemed to be the vibe afterwards. As a reporter and as someone part of that community, I've got to ask you. Where did that come from? Was there any Bro. validity to that, or were they just making no. shit up? I don't know who the hell said that. I tweeted about that fire, whoever that was. Um, I think more than anything, if, if we can make any story out, I don't think it's a story at all. I think players just were – like, Nolan Smith said it, but one other – Warren Brinson said it too. What One thing I also admire about Kirby is how in the hell he gets five stars – to be out here thinking the world's against them. They're like, nobody believes in them or some shit. Like, we're not out on Twitter saying they're the, like, the best team in college football. Like, they weren't 14-point favorites going into that football game. Like, they weren't 12-and-a-half-point favorites going against Oregon. Like, they hadn't been two touchdown favorites all year. Like, I don't know. But that dude, that head man over there, gets those guys to work until their tongue falls out their mouth and still hungry as if the world – like, they got a chip on their shoulder. It makes no sense. It, I don't know. I, 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 I have no idea where the 75 came from. But Kirby definitely, even that leaked audio, I don't know when that was. They came out. He came out and said it wasn't pregame, whatever. But even that, 
He talks about, if, if there's a clip in there, he said, did y'all hear what those girls on Fox said? That shit had me so pissed off, I wanted to play today. Like, he just, he just finds things is just like, they hate you. They don't, they don't believe in you. They don't, they don't trust you. They don't like us. The world hates us. The world's against us. And they all just lap that shit up. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me. They've never been doubted. None of these individuals, from an athletic standpoint, the Georgia recruits, of course, there's the Lad McConkeys, the Dylan Bells, the A.D. Mitchells, the guys that he's, like, nailing on the process. Bro, Noah Smith was number one player ranked in America. I mean, come on. Warren Brinson was top, top 250 player in America. Jalen Carter, five-star. Darnell Washington, five-star. Keely Ringo, five-star. Okay, Chris Smith, high four-star. Low four-star out of Hapeville, really climbed out in the mud, literally. That practice field was mud. That's all it was. There's guys who have defied odds, but athletically, they've always been the best. So, I, I yeah, it, it blows my mind. That's the other key. He works relentlessly, gets other people to work relentlessly around him, and somehow, some way, has everyone believing that everybody hates him and don't believe in him. I don't know. Yeah, no, definitely. That's that's uh, he's he's the master uh, motivator, and and that kind of brings me into this question about next year. So next year's schedule, I mean, there is no secret. It's it's it should be a cakewalk. It's a cupcake <laughs> schedule, um, and it's not not far, not, no fault of Georgia. I mean, they had Oklahoma on the schedule before that was that was canceled. They had to they had to scramble to get Ball State in there, so that's no fault of their own. But how does two part question? How does Kirby get get those guys motivated to to run through that schedule unscathed? And two, is there a legitimate contender in the in the SEC East that could that could potentially derail that, or are, are we looking towards a three peat here at this point? So I, I'll start with the SEC East question. I, I think South Carolina is going to be a good football team. Spencer, I mean, say what you want, Spencer Rattler. Okay, they got an NFL they got an NFL uh, offense coordinator in there now. Guy's been in the league for years. Um, that's that that track record of NFL guys coming back to college. I don't know if y'all look at it, but them dudes eat every time they come back. Bill O'Brien picked the picked apart the SEC West for a couple of years when he first got back. Bill O'Brien, okay, everybody thought he was the dumbest dude in football. Okay, he came to the SEC. Granted, he had Bryce Young, sliced and diced. All right, um, so it's very easy for these guys to play with the pace and space that they're allowed to play with in college. Um, so I'll start with that. I think South Carolina is doing a good job. I would play for Shane Beamer. And if I will play for you, you got my stamp. Okay. Um, outside of that, like, we'll, I'm not a Joe Milton guy. I know Joe Milton can throw at 85 yards. That does nothing for me. Um, so we'll have to see on that one. Uh, and, and just like the replenishment of talent. I know they were, they recruited decently, but like the Pruitt players are leaving. I don't know if y'all noticed that. They're, they're about to cycle out all the Pruitt guys. And say what you want about Jeremy Pruitt. He had good eye for football talent. Like, he, he put good football players on that roster. So, eventually, that's going to cycle out. We'll see how Heupel does um, with regards to replenishment of assets. That was my number one criticism of his stuff at uh, Central Florida. The offense is great. We know that. But, like, once Scott Frost's players left, them cupboards were empty. You know what I mean? They were they were pretty barren down there. So um, questions about that in Tennessee, but hey, they got all the money in the world. They got all the access in the world and they can go out there and do that thing. So they're going to be okay. They're eventually going to work. Well, I don't know about Florida. We'll see. We'll see. I, I, I liked it at first. I thought it was a good idea. I thought, oh, SEC guy, uh, Saban background, uh, going to do the Saban thing has access and had was going to have access to everything that he needed. So we were told. And once the wheels got rolling, he got the biggest staff in America down there, guys. I don't know if y'all know that. 
He's got the biggest staff. He's got two offensive line coaches. Two. The only the only team in, in, in conference, SEC conference football to have one. Two. All right, so it just, he's got all the access in the world, but I think the machine is too big. I don't think he's isolating enough. Um, long story short, I'm a Carson Beck believer. You talking about one percenter, okay, yeah. <laughs> that ball come out. That thing, all right, every time he throws it. Every time he throws it. Now, we don't know who he's going to be, you know, if they play a tight football game. We don't know that, but you don't know that. How are you supposed to know that? Uh, they don't even know that. He doesn't know that. I'll tell you what, he was a baller in high school. Last time he needed to be one. When he had, when he had talent around him, he was the first high school football player at, at Mandarin High School to win a state championship. And if you know anything about Florida football, ain't a lot of winning done in Jacksonville for a lot of reasons, for a lot of reasons. But for that dude to win a state title, he was balling. Now, the senior year stuff, the last time he was a starter, and nobody around him. He lost nine of 11 starters from his junior to his senior year in high school. And then gets to Georgia, and, like, day one, everybody's like, ooh, that thing come out. Like, day one, day one he showed up, everyone knew. That dude can throw that thing. All right? George Pickens goes to the NFL draft. Carson Beck throws at his pro day because Carson Beck throw that thing. All right, so we're going to see – we are going to see what it looks like in game action, but I'm, I'm a believer in what six foot five, 230-pound Carson Beck can do with the football and what Todd Munkin can do with that, with that. You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of X's and O's stuff. There's a lot of portions of the field that they can now get to. There are things in the office that they can now do. And on top of that, Rob Rod Thomas and Dominic Lovick, and here you go. So as we're starting to look ahead to next year a little bit, you talked about Carson Beck likely being the guy. Um, we'll see if, if Vandegrift can step in there and, and give him a shot. But uh, I'm curious your thoughts on what do you think the biggest loss of all those NFL guys or transfer portal guys will be uh, next year and the biggest addition will be? So to me, I, I think it's probably gonna, the losses offensively are definitely Broderick and Warren. Now, it's going to be replaced Warren McClendon, that is Broderick Jones and Warren McClendon, the two tackles. McClendon's an easy replace. It's a peel and, peel and replace, literally, with Marius Mims. Probably a, a, an upgrade. Definitely an upgrade. Um, from a, a, a ceiling standpoint, I project the same type of uh, jump from year one as a partial starter to year two as a full-time starter that uh, Roger Jones had. If y'all remember, he came in late into the season in 2021 on their first national title run. Had to get play because uh, uh, Jamari Sawyer went down. Okay, so he gets plugged in at left tackle or someone went down. I can't quite remember. Anyways, gets plugged in, comes back this year, first round draft pick, plays like one. I think Amarius Mims is going to do very, something very, very similar on the right tackle spot this year. The the other like kid that's going to have to step up, and he is a kid, it's Ernest Green. That's 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 a question for me. Can you start a redshirt freshman? Which Georgia's done it. Can you start a redshirt freshman at left tackle? Um, or maybe they flip. Maybe Amarius goes to the left and Ernest goes to the right. Doesn't matter. You're going to be starting a young kid at tackle. Um, that's always tough in the SEC, uh, especially with a new quarterback, too. So, obviously, you lose a two-year starter in Stetson Bennett. That's a big loss. Um, defensively, corners are always peel and replace at Georgia. They, they'll figure it out. If the guy can't play man like De'Aaron Kendrick, they'll just shift their whole entire defense to, to guard the guy. Uh, if Keely Ringo maybe has a tendency to be, get beat one particular way, they figure out ways to do it. Like they are the best in terms of peel and replace what we need to replace in the back end because we got Will Muschamp and uh, you know Kirby Smart on the staff there. That's their thought processes. We got the, the the two best minds when it comes to coverage football and college football. That would be Kirby's uh, response to how do you replace 
Chris Smith and Keely Ringo. Well, we'll just figure it out. Yeah, definitely. And uh, uh, looking ahead a little bit to 2024, um, the 2024 class for Georgia is setting up to be probably one of the best ever at this point. And with, there's still so many guys yet to commit. Um, uh, Dylan Rayola, he's probably the biggest name, the biggest question mark out there. What, what is your gauge on him? What do you think he ends up doing? I know there's a lot of talk about Ohio State, Georgia. Um, how big of a game will he be? And what are the odds you think it'll happen? I'm So... Anytime Kirby Smart's ever matched up against Nebraska, I think I like his odds. I mean, not to not to make jokes here uh, and not to make light of the situation. There, there is a lot of ties to Nebraska. There is. There's a lot of access in Nebraska. They have access to funds like nobody's business. Um, but th- that dude was at a national title game sitting next to a guy who he calls Uncle Matthew. Uh, he calls Matthew Stafford Uncle Matthew. Like, they have known each other their whole lives. That dude loves Georgia, too. Okay? He might, he might love Nebraska. He might have grown up in that red and black. But that dude loved him some dog, too. Um, and I, I think, you know, I think Georgia's in a very, very good place. Um, and I don't know when this comes out, but by the time, I'm, I'm sure by the time this gets released or by the time you listen to this, there will probably already be news that Todd Munkin's up there seeing him. So, they're doing good. They're, they're doing really, really good. Absolutely. We want to throw one last question at you. We want to throw the one that a lot of people have been talking about for the last week and a half. Um, can we call the Kirby Smart Georgia Bulldogs a dynasty? So I'm a, I'm a three out of four guy. Like, I'm, you got to win three out of four to be a dynasty. I think that's, that's what a dynasty – that's what a dynasty in sports was always to me. Like, you got to at least three-peat or you at least got to go three out of four. Like the two P thing's great. Um, now, what I will say this is like in college football, I, I I consider what Clemson did kind of like a dynasty, right? They win two titles, they play for four. I think it was maybe win two, play for five, whatever it was. If Alabama didn't exist, Clemson would have a dynasty in college football. Alabama has played for goddamn seven, I think, in the last like fourteen years, fifteen years. They are. It's, all, it's, it's, a, it's a classic sports argument. It's whatever your definition of it. To me, it's three out of four. You got to win three out of four titles to be considered a sports dynasty, um, in my opinion. So that, that, like, that, that knocks out the, my, like the, uh, the LeBron Miami Heat teams. They're gone. Like, that's, only, that's two out of four. That's not three out of four. Um, it includes, I feel like the San Antonio Spurs might have done it. I may, maybe not. Maybe they only had two there with uh, Duncan and Robinson. It was, it was three um, out of five. Three, three out, out of five. five. See? If it's if it's one lose one win one lose one that's not that's not a dynasty, but in my opinion. But what I mean, what is it's an opinion based argument? Are they the uh, the best? Um, you know, a culmination of like four years stretch in the last ten? Yeah, they are. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, man, Brent Brooks, we uh, can't thank you enough for joining us today, man. Where can people find more of your work? Yeah, you can find me all social media platforms at Brooks Austin BA. Um, so, yeah. Um, and if you want any type of, you know, film breakdown, if you, if you want some uh, opinions and all that good stuff, we do a bunch of work on YouTube. Uh, just search the Film Guy Network. Uh, we got all you can ever imagine over there, including other stuff, not just my fat face. So <laughs> appreciate you guys for having me, man. Uh, thank you. You're great. Uh, love your work as always, man. It's, it's incredible to watch. Keep it up. Thanks.
Absolutely. We hope to have you back uh, very soon. We appreciate all the insight, all the recruiting insight. And uh, who knows, maybe this time next year we'll be talking about, uh, you know, can they win four in a row? We'll see. <laughs> but uh, thank you everybody so much for tuning in and we'll see you in the next podcast.